Let's open our Bibles today to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to continue our study through this Gospel today as we are introduced to King Jesus through the words of the Apostle Matthew. Today is a very significant day in the time and life story of our church and we are a part today of uh, Jason Dominey concluding his uh, service here, work here as our worship pastor and he has done that with us for almost 19 years. Um, It's a very fitting song for us to sing here before I speak to this, a song that speaks of God's kingdom, of, of service, of humility, of praise to the Lord's name, because that has been the focus of these 19 years for Jason leading here. It has never been about him. And that has been such a wonderful environment to work in with him. Uh, Jason is extremely talented. And um, the first time that I heard him sing, I, I thought, I want to hear him sing a lot. And, um, but there have been many times where I have asked him to sing, and he's pushed back on that. And he said, no, this morning that would just be too much me. That's me too much, me too much. And um, he has lived a, a life of ministry that has regularly and routinely uh, pushed other people out into serving and, and roles and developing them. And it's been wonderful to see that happen. But um, listen, there is no one I know more talented than Jason. Um, there's just not many people that you come across that can write a song, sing a song, play a song, play piano, play uh, uh, guitar that's needed if the drummer doesn't show up to jump in on the drums and figure out how to make that work, uh, run sound if he needs to, uh, he, he, he can build a house, uh, he... he um, he can dunk a basketball. He, he plays. He plays uh, scratch golf. I mean, it's. I mean, you you throw in on that all that hair, and and it's just like, man, you talk about making an old man battle with envy. He he does it over and over and over again. But um, Jason is the hardest working people I know. He's humble. He's generous more than you know. He always shows up with a super attitude, and things are always better uh, when he walks away from it, and that's true. Today in my life, I'm a better man, I'm a better husband, I'm a better pastor uh, because of Jesus, uh, because of Jason in my life. He's helped me in so many ways, and I'm just... Um, Really thankful for his time. And I want you to join with me tonight. Caleb mentioned it earlier here at 6.30. Chance to appreciate uh, him and Megan and their boys, Carson and Coleman and Mac. 
and um, we love y'all, thankful for you, and we want to make sure you know that today. A very practical way that you can do that is participating in a love offering we want to present to them. Uh, the practical piece of that is if you do a check, you make it out to the church, put it on the memo line, the Domini family, you can drop that in the boxes at the doors when you leave today, or you can do that tonight. If you want to give online, it's watkinsville.org give, and look for the love offering tab, and let's bless them for their years of service as they um, end this role with us. Let me pray for us. Father, I bow before you now. We come to you in the name of Jesus. I, I know that even Jason said a few days ago, this day is not all about him. And, and we know that. We're thankful for a chance to serve together the way he served with us. I pray your blessings and encouragement in their life. Father, we come at this time to do what we are ultimately here for, and that is to lift up Jesus. We're grateful for the chance to sing, the chance to give, the chance to serve a lot of different ways. We're grateful for your word that we can open and see Jesus and see the good news, hear the good news. We recognize that your word is alive and we're asking you to take your living word and use it in our hearts and lives today and change us, transform us, encourage us where we need that, change us where we need to be changed, convict us where we're wrong. I pray in this room if there's anyone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you would change their life today. I pray that they would call out to you to be saved. Thank you for the testimony through baptism of will he's confessing before this crowd that he has trusted Jesus and I pray there'd be others in this room today that would be led to take that step of publicly declaring their faith through baptism father I pray for believers help us today to hear your word and be submissive to it pray you'd find good hearts, good soil in our hearts today that as the word comes to us, we'd respond faithfully, obediently, without delay to what your word is saying. Holy Spirit, we know you're the counselor, you're the teacher. You call attention to Jesus, the Son, and I pray right now that you would not be quenched in any way, that, but you would Call our attention, call our hearts, call our thoughts to Jesus today. Be free to work in this room and lifting up Jesus. We pray these things in your name, King Jesus. Amen. Not only is this a significant time in the life of our church, it's very significant in time when we come to this point in the Gospel of Matthew we have worked now through 20 chapters. We come to chapter 21. There are 28 chapters in this book. For 20 chapters, we have learned about the birth of Jesus, 
the life of Jesus. We've seen his miracles. We've seen his disciples. We've seen opposition to Jesus. We've seen him compel people to respond to him. We see him revealing who he is. We see him talking about what he's going to do. On multiple occasions, he makes the announcement that he will go to Jerusalem and he'll be arrested, that he'll be beaten, flogged. He will die there and he will rise on the third day. 20 chapters, we've seen about 33 years of his life. We, we come from his birth all the way to chapter 21 where he's 33 years old. And when we get to chapter 21, the last eight chapters of this book cover the last single week in the life of Jesus on this earth. 20 chapters to cover 33 years, now 8 chapters to cover one week in the life of Jesus. And this certainly points us to the fact that we have reached the critical time in the life of Jesus. We have reached the most important time of why Jesus came and what Jesus was going to do. And so when we come to chapter 21, we are in the beginning of the last week of his life. And it's going to take us about four Sundays to cover these 28 chapters. And we eventually will get to our celebration of Easter and the resurrection of Christ and his commission to his disciples after his resurrection. But today we come to what we know in history as being Palm Sunday. Things change in this chapter. Up to this point, you see Jesus in the middle of crowds, and then he pulls away. Then he dips back into crowds, and then he pulls away. You see him making statements like, uh, let's go to the other side of the sea to get away from the crowds. Uh, There are statements that he talks about he was going to another place to get some rest. You see him do miracles, and when he does miracles... He will say, don't tell anybody about this. Keep it to yourself. Don't tell anyone. And this, there's this sense of, of like there's this waiting going on. There's this holding back that's going on. But when you come to Matthew chapter 21, that mood changes. And Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. And everything that he said he was going to do now seems to be happening downhill, if you will. It is happening rapidly. And Jesus turns into the face of the headwind of opposition, and he goes right into Jerusalem. And he rides into Jerusalem with every marker of a king, with every marker of a kingdom, but not a king or a kingdom like the world's kingdoms might exactly predict. And we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. Let's look here at Matthew 21. I want to read this story. Probably you're holding a paper copy of the Bible. You have a heading there that says the triumphal entry or the triumphant entry. The story of him going into Jerusalem, verse 1, chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied 
and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now stop there for a moment. There, are, there is a lot of information in that one scene. A lot of information that tells us about who Jesus knew himself to be. A lot of information about who the prophets in the Old Testament knew the Messiah would be. There's a lot here about how the disciples understood who Jesus was and how they submitted to his authority. There's a lot in this story about the, the inhabitants of the city who saw the uproar of Jesus coming in, you see they're wondering who he was. And then you see a perspective of the crowds where they just thought he was a prophet. So a lot of different things going on in this one scene. When you work through these verses, after this uh, triumphant entry, you see Jesus uh, cleanse the temple. In verse 12, it has, there's this story of him going into the temple and there are a lot of, uh, um, there's a lot of merchandise being so, uh, sold there. There's a lot of uh, buying and selling and trading that's going on there. Look in verse 12. It says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Chapters 21 and chapter 2, you see him come into the city, riding on a donkey. You see him cleanse the temple. In the next passage, you see him um, commending uh, praise from children. You see him cursing a fig tree. We turn over the... Uh, rest of 21 and part of chapter 22 you see him communicating in parables and then uh, by the time you come to the end of chapter 22 you see him answering questions about who the Christ is and what the greatest commandments are what I want to do for you today uh, over these next few minutes is take the characteristics and the attributes of Jesus and lift them up. They are here in this triumphant entry. They are there in him cleansing the temple, in him commanding, commending praise, in him cursing the fig tree, in him communicating in parables. We see the attributes and the characteristics of King Jesus. 
And I want to pause right there for just a moment. And I want to say out loud before you and before God that I count it an incredible privilege to stand before you this morning once at 9.30 and now today at an 11 o'clock service and simply lift up King Jesus in this room. I have the opportunity today to call your attention to a king, to the king, to King Jesus. The one that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And so I want to lift him up. The first attribute that we see to lift up about King Jesus is his authority. Now, if you've tracked with me through the book of Matthew, you might hear that word and say, you've already talked about that. And that's exactly the case. And the great news is, is that when you get to the last week of the life of Jesus, you don't find anything new about Jesus that we didn't already know at his birth. Don't you love that about somebody? Don't you want to get to the end of somebody's life and find out that they've been consistent all the way through, that there are no surprises? And what we've been talking about in the life of Jesus from the very beginning started with his authority. He had absolute power. You see glimpses of this in his riding into the city here in this uh, royal kind of procession into the city. Look at it in verse 2. It says, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, and tie them and bring them to me. And then down in verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Well, you see obedience to authority. You see him giving commands for them to do something. They do it. But in between those two verses, there's another verse that points to his authority. Look at verse 3. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say. And listen, this is the only time. Pay attention to this. This is the only time Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew refers to himself as Lord. But he does. And he says to the disciples, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them not a prophet needs them the teacher doesn't need them the rabbi doesn't need them the Lord needs them we see his authority in the words that he used about himself you see his authority in the commands that he gave you see his authority in the way his disciples obeyed him secondly we lift up his sovereignty you say, Pastor, you talked about sovereignty just a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely. And what we've seen in his life all the way through, we see his authority, we see his sovereignty. In his authority and sovereignty, we saw him uh, demonstrate that in his miracles. We saw him delegate his authority to his disciples. We saw him give authority for carrying out his mission. And now we see his sovereignty in him fulfilling prophecy. 
in verse 4, it says, This took place, talking about riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. It said, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, So significant, because we're talking about a prophecy that was made hundreds of years before this very event in history. And the prophecy was made by the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Matthew quotes the prophecy. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the prophecy had been given by Zechariah hundreds of years prior. It's brought into the day that Jesus would ride into the city and him riding literally on a donkey into the city was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was an exercise of his rule and authority. It was his sovereignty being shown and demonstrated among the people. You and I have a King Jesus who has authority and who has sovereignty over this world, life, the past, present, and future. Third, I want to lift up the characteristic, a surprising characteristic of this king, and that is humility. In the world's kingdoms, in the world's measure of things, we talk about self. We talk about promoting yourself, putting yourself out there. Look at this king. It says, say to the daughter of Zion behold your king is coming to you that sounds great verse right after that humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a beast of burden this verse is consistent with who Jesus had been from the beginning We saw in this gospel just a few weeks back. It's in Mark chapter 10, verse 45 as well. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here you see in this time where he is coming into the city as king, That he's a different kind of king than the world had expected. This was blowing the mind of his disciples. It had blown the mind as he talked about a a life of humility. They would ask questions about who will be the greatest in your kingdom. And he says, you're not thinking right. The the mother of James and John said, can they sit on your right and your left? And you're not thinking right. That's not the kind of kingdom I'm talking about. When we come to King Jesus, we see him humble the word uh, humble there is a, is a word that's also translated lowly. You cannot come to this description of King Jesus without thinking of Philippians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul wrote of the humility of Christ. Listen to it. Just let me read it over this room. Philippians 2 verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is King Jesus. The humble and lowly one who came, left the glory of heaven and took on flesh, took on humanity, and he went to the cross to die in the interest of others. It is such a great reminder to us today as we lift up King Jesus that the kingdom of heaven is different than other kingdoms of this world. If you're looking for a kingdom for yourselves to, for you to be famous, if you're looking for a place called a church for you to be the big dog on campus, listen, that's not the kingdom of heaven. And it'd be a great word for me as a pastor today, it'd be a great word for you and your life today to think about how we live and operate in this world around us. We are, as, as a church, as a as a, as, as a Christian world, we need less strut in our walk and more humility in our service. Where we would see ourselves as lowly and humble with interest for others over ourselves. You think about even this day, has something already happened in your life, in your day, where you think to yourself about self? And Jesus brings us up close to him and shows us that what he came to do was not to promote self. What he came to do was to die. And we learn that a kingdom of heaven, that the way up in the kingdom of heaven is down. That in the kingdom of heaven, the last will be first. And we see the call for humility here. We lift up King Jesus today as one with authority and sovereignty and humility. And then we see him with clarity. Jesus Christ had clarity in his life. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He knew what the goal was. And you see it in the cleansing of the temple. Verse 12, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. How could he do that? He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He acted like it was his temple. It was. He said to them, it is written, my house. Here, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And what was Jesus doing? Jesus was speaking with clarity. He knew that the purpose of the temple was a place for people to come and be able to have a relationship with God. He knew that the temple was a place where people were to be able to come and talk to God. He knew that the temple was a place where people could come and have their sins dealt with for another year. He knew that the temple of God was a place where they could be in relationship with God. And what the merchandisers had done is that they had created all of this extra barriers to where people couldn't get to God. And what the purpose of the temple was, was not being accomplished. 
Jesus Christ speaks to us with clarity today and reminds us that the purpose of church, reminds us that the purpose of the kingdom, reminds us that the purpose of singing and preaching and giving, reminds us it is the reason that he came is so that you and I could be the temple, so that the spirit could live in us, so that we could have a relationship with God so that his house in us could be a place of prayer. This is King Jesus with authority, with sovereignty, with humility, with clarity. And sixth, I would show you that he is King Jesus with ability. One of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture is just the short verse, God is able. God is able. He's able. He's able. You have some obstacle in your life that you feel like you just cannot get through. God is able. There's something that is a stronghold in your life and you feel like it just won't be broken. God is able. Jesus has the ability. Look at it in in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He healed them. That story over and over again throughout the gospel of Matthew. You see his supernatural ability and doing whatever needed to be done to bring him glory I guess next would be sixth those of you taking notes and you're freaking out right now because you've missed one we're talking authority we're talking sovereignty we're talking humility and clarity ability and now his humanity we lift up about King Jesus his humanity. Where is that? Look at chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 41. The Pharisees and Sadducees have been asking Jesus a series of questions. And now, at the end of chapter 22, Jesus asked the questions. In verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Get the question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The Pharisees are about to give an accurate answer. And they say to him, the son of David. That was true. They were not wrong. In their answer... What they were doing was acknowledging the humanity of Christ. Jesus said, who who do you think, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? He is the son of David. It's a testimony of human genealogy. You trace the bloodline of Jesus, you trace his ancestors, you see human ancestry all the way back to King David. In this messianic context here, it was a testimony to the humanity of Jesus. They had seen him in the flesh. They'd seen him work. They'd seen him operate. They'd seen him eat. They'd seen him drink. Fully human. We lift Jesus up today as fully human. 
but it doesn't stop there. And here's the last characteristic we'd lift up, and that is he, his divinity. And just as Jesus was fully human, he was also fully divine. It goes on when they say, he said, when they said, the son of David, he said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, and he quotes Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. By answering the son of David, we see his humanity. With Jesus pointing out that David had referred to the Lord as his Lord, we see his divinity. Listen to Stanley Toussaint as he writes about this. He says, the Messiah then asked a question of the Pharisees. He asked them to reconcile the fact that although the Messiah is David's son, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord. Psalm 110.1, the Pharisees were unable to answer the problem because of their obstinacy. The answer stood before them. Jesus makes some startling revelations concerning himself in these few statements. The humanity of the Christ is affirmed by the common knowledge among the Jews of the fact that he was called the son of David. The deity of the Messiah is set forth here too. In Psalm 110.1, one divine person speaks to the other. It expresses the pre-existence of the Messiah. He lived in David's time before the Christ came to the earth. Today, friends, I have the privilege with you to lift up King Jesus, who is full of authority, sovereignty, humility, clarity, ability, humanity, and yes, divinity. Worship King Jesus in this room. You can clap for him. Give him glory in this room today. He's worthy. He's either king or he's not. Authority, sovereignty, humility, clarity, ability, humanity, divinity. Well, what happened? What happened in the midst of this? He silenced the questions. What, we saw the, the critical time of him riding into the city. And now he's just put forth that he's fully human and fully divine. And... Now what time is it? Practically, let's do this together. What time is it right now? Find your phone. Like literally, let's, let's participate. Find your phone. Find your watch. What time is it? 11.54. All right. According to the Apple universe, it is 11.54. I want you to note that in your mind and heart right now. Physically, practically, that's what time it is. But what time is it in relationship to God for you right now? Number one, I want to give you two answers. Number one, it's time to stop questioning Jesus. It is time for you to stop questioning Jesus. 
In chapters 21 and chapter 22, what happens in 21 and chapter 2 is a series of questions that the Pharisees ask, the Sadducees ask, the disciples ask. And every time they ask a question, Jesus in return asks them a question. And it leads you to say that Jesus never met a question he couldn't question. And he would reveal truth about himself with his questions. And in your life today, you may be just like the disciples or just like the Pharisees or just like the Sadducees. And you walk into this room asking questions of Jesus today. Jesus, why did you do this? Jesus, who are you? Do, I, do you really believe, Jesus, am I supposed to think, how do you work this out? And just question after question after question that you have sitting here, maybe here every week, but still just questions about Jesus. And I want to say to you today, it's time to stop questioning Jesus. There came a time in the life of all of these, verse 46, and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Don't let your questions stand before you and Jesus. Don't let what you don't know block out what you do know. So I don't know if I understand it all. I don't know if I can make sense at all. I don't know why God did this. Listen. We do know this. We know that we have a king who has authority and sovereignty and humility and clarity and ability and humanity and divinity. We know that about King Jesus. And in just a few days, he would die on a cross and be buried. And then he would rise to life on the third day. He would appear to hundreds of witnesses and he would ascend to heaven. And one day he's coming back. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. That's the good news. And all of those other questions, what do you do with them? Just keep reading, keep studying, keep asking. It's one of the joys of living the Christian life is studying the Word and be able to find out something maybe this week that you never saw about Jesus. It'll be one of the glories of heaven to get there and say, I never knew this, but there we'll know in full, while here we only knew in part. But friends, God has given us enough to know Jesus for salvation. It's time to stop questioning Jesus. I don't know what questions you have. I do know what questions Jesus has. It's the same questions that he had right here to the Pharisees, and it would be these questions. Am I the Christ? Jesus wants you to consider today at Watkinsville, at this 11 o'clock service, is he the Christ? Is he the one that Zechariah spoke of in prophecy hundreds of years before he would come? Is he the Messiah walking into Jerusalem, riding into Jerusalem, dying on the cross? Who is he to you? Is he the Christ? Secondly, Jesus would ask, am I the Son of God? That's what he was driving at. Do you believe that I'm the Son of God? Ask that question. That's the question Jesus has for you. And then he would want to know this. Am I the king of your heart? Am I the king of your heart? We live in a world with so many kings, so many kingdoms. And it's easy for us to give our affection and our love to another king, to another idol, to this idol and that idol, to be a part of that kingdom and that kingdom, maybe even our own kingdom. It's all about me. It's all about us. It's all about self. And Jesus is asking this today, coming into Jerusalem, am I the Christ? Am I the Son of God? Am I the King? 
of your heart. And today, if he's not the king of your heart, what do you do? Repent. Repent. Acknowledge that before the king and tell him, I haven't believed. You haven't been my king. And today, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to submit my life to you as my king. I don't understand it all. I don't have all the answers. I still got some questions. But I believe that I want to give my life to you. I want to humble myself to your authority. And I want you to be the king of my heart. It's time to stop questioning Jesus. And secondly, it's time to start bearing fruit. It's time to start bearing fruit. What is the fruit? You look in chapter 21. He gives this parable to the Pharisees about the results of their rejecting the Messiah, rejecting him as Messiah. He knows they're Jewish people. They should be a part of the kingdom of God. They should receive him, believe. But look in verse 43, chapter 21. Verse 43, 21. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Therefore the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits he's saying to the pharisees jewish in name you should be first in but you're tripping over the cornerstone you're rejecting the cornerstone i take the kingdom from you and i give it to those who are producing fruit what's the fruit of the kingdom we see two of these in chapter 21 and 22 the first is worship they ask him the pharisees ask good questions they ask him what's the greatest commandment And Jesus answered them. He said in verse 37, chapter 22, the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The first fruit of the kingdom for us to bear is worship. It's expressing, it's living, it's making our decisions and choices that demonstrate a love for King Jesus. We worship him with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul. Listen, hey, Jesus is calling you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Do you love him? Do you love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind? Don't make him an add-on. Don't make him just part B or part C. He wants you To have him first in your life. It's worship. Love is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart. And then the second fruit is faith. Look back. Chapter 21. When he came to the fig tree. Verse 18. In the morning he was returning to the city. He became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside. He went to it and found nothing. Nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. It's the only miracle of judgment that we see Jesus do. He comes to a tree, fig tree, it's covered with leaves. He's hungry, there's no fruit. He looks at it, he curses it. It just withers. And he uses it as a teaching moment. When the disciples saw it, they marveled. How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 
That fig tree, no doubt, stood for Jerusalem. It stood for the Jewish people. And he came and walking into that city, he didn't see fruit. And it was a picture, the curse that would come there. And he says, you're all leaves and no fruit. And today, when you think about your life, there's saving faith. That gives us eternal life. And maybe just now, you've believed on Jesus. You've received him as your king. But there's also living faith. And that's every day walking in faith, believing in Jesus and his ability, his power, his sovereignty. It's for everyday life. Are you all leaves and no fruit? Does Jesus come up close to you today and see your life and he see all leaves and no fruit? All leaves would be being in church every Sunday, but no, just, just checking the box. It would be being baptized, but never having placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It would be having your name on a church roll. That just be leaves. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Where's the faith? Where's the believing, the life Giving, life, changing, everyday, living faith. Are you worshiping him? Are you believing him? Are you trusting him? What a time to be alive. A time for you this morning to respond to him as King Jesus. I want to ask the band to go ahead and come. And I was thinking of that passage there where he said, if you would speak even to the mountains and told them to cast into the sea. It happened if you believe by faith. It's a picture of obstacles in our life, of things that are bigger than us. You can close your Bibles and look this way for just a moment. I, I want to take about two minutes here, or a minute. I, I want to be pretty transparent with you. Listen. End of 2015, beginning of 2016, I started dealing with something, that, and it was just crazy. I didn't talk to anybody about it. Around the 1st of 2016, I started, I started having this problem with bridges. And, and when I would get to bridges of particular size and shape, I just would kind of have this, like this thing would come over me where I didn't know if I was going to be able to go across it. Now, all the psychology majors in the room and counselors, just analyze me right now. Go ahead, do whatever you need to do. Send me an email. Tell me what I need to do to fix it, whatever you want to do. But it was real. And I noticed it for the first time. Our family was in San Diego. And when you go from San Diego over to Coronado Island, there's a massive bridge that rises high into the sky, and it curves right on into Coronado Island. And we were all the Sibleys were loaded up in the van, in this minivan, and we were driving across the bridge, and they, they're singing, they're laughing, they're cutting up, and they're like, look at that, look at that. And inside, I'm like having a something. And, and, and just all of a sudden, I don't know if some of you remember this or not, but I just said, shut up, everybody be quiet. And I didn't, they didn't see that side of Carlos much. And, 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 and it just it got quiet, and I double-clenched the, the steering wheel and drove on across. And from that day on, I just I've, I didn't talk to anybody about it. In the summer of 21, Carla and I were in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We were sitting at a restaurant, 
And I was looking across the water, and there's this massive bridge. We were headed into Maine. You have to cross this bridge to get into Maine. I kept staring at it, and I started, I talked to Carla about it. I said, we gotta, I may need you to drive across that bridge. And were you talking? I said, you ju- I just I don't know I can do it. And Carla began to talk to me, and she said, to, he said, you know what? Sounds to me like you're scared. Sounds to me like there's a fear, and you know what you need to do with fears? And the way I remember is you need to face your fear. And we're going to praise the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to sing. We got in the car. We got on that bridge. And we sang praises to the Lord. We worshiped him going across that bridge. And we made it to the other side. And I've been doing bridges ever since. Now listen. I have never thrown a mountain into the sea. But I have crossed a lot of bridges. Listen. Hey. Clapping. That's our language. You can do that. It's to the Lord. It's to the Lord. Today, you're facing some bridges. You're facing some obstacles. You're seeing some things that just seem impossible, as impossible as moving a mountain, as impossible as crossing a bridge, as as practical as going to work on Monday morning. Listen. Worship him. Live by faith. That's what Jesus came for. He's king. He is authoritative. He has sovereignty, clarity, humility. He's fully human. He's fully divine. And one day he'll ride back in on a white horse, written on his side, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's stand. Let's worship him.